What's up, OBR fans? It's Jake Burns, host of the OBR Film Breakdown here. Welcome into today's show, which I think is a pretty great show and excited to get to that in just a moment. I have to do a little clerical stuff here where I have been... Listen, I try to be an expert in a lot of things, covering this football team, covering this franchise, and sometimes you're an idiot. I was an idiot. I've been referring to, and I want to give a shout-out. I hope he doesn't get mad. Corey Gardner on Twitter uh, pointed this out in a DM that I have been referring to the 10-yard split incorrectly, which is a fact. I have been referring to that incorrectly. It is uh, it is not a measured spot within the 40-yard dash, but it is the initial 40-yard dash, first 10 yards, to decipher whether they, the, the actual runner is a two-step top-speed guy or a striding top-speed guy. So it is not through the course of the run. It is the initial to figure out what type of burst a guy is, which would make most sense for David Bell, a guy not not uh, with the ideal top speed, but a bursty type of guy so that he can create that separation by quickly getting to his top speed at the at the breaking point of route, so on and so forth. So I have been messing that up. I hope some of you have not been uh, judging me too harshly through the draft process and afterwards here talking to people covering these prospects. And listen, somebody should have called me out on this sooner. Maybe I'm teaching you. I don't know. Uh, shout out to Corey for, for calling me out there in the right way. You need to make sure you're sharing that information correctly, and I was not passing that along well. So Again, 10-yard split is the first 10 yards to see what type of runner you are in terms of how quickly you get up to your top speed uh, right away. So anyway, let's continue on with our uh, content here. I do I do think that that's important to, to chat about. Uh, otherwise, Brown's uh, pretty, again, pretty quiet day, but they did do a couple different things. They picked up two players off the waiver wire, uh, Reggie Robinson from Houston, is where he is arriving from, and then safety Luther Kirk also coming over from the uh, you know the defensive backfield, coming over from the Falcons. Both guys with noted stints with the Cowboys. Robinson actually drafted in the fourth round by the Cowboys. Kirk was originally signed as the UDFA from Dallas, like I said, in 2020. He went to Minnesota in 2020 and also Atlanta's practice squad in 2021. He made a debut with the Falcons last year, Illinois State product. Robinson's third-year Player out of Tulsa, as I said, 123rd overall pick in the 2020 draft and was with Houston most recently, has forced a fumble in five career games played and one tackle as well. Otherwise, up on the OBR site, we had a great article about the free agents at positions the Browns are still interested in. We named one guy of interest. You should check that out. Uh, there is uh, a guy there, I think, and we're going to talk about this again later in a segment, is is the amount of veteran, interesting free agents who could help this team that are still out there as a written-up form of that. And then also wanted to address, too, that the OBR has uh, last chance for feedback on forum changes for our VIP members. So if you're a heavy user of the forums, there's some changes we're looking to make with how we pass information on, whether passing it through a rumor or passing it through... Uh, conversation, water cooler based things, or if you're a VIP, uh, you know, story commenter on that section to the tap room, that's another place. So there's some changes in there. If you want to give feedback, we would greatly appreciate that. If you could go ahead and let us know your thoughts. We are still trucking along through the draft prospect series. We have some more guys to go. Uh, Martin Emerson is up today. We talk with Paul Jones here in just a moment. We will have an LSU guest I'm recording with tomorrow to go through Cade York 
and any other UDFA-based signings as well. So Glenn Logan will be included in there too. So those guys will be tomorrow for today. We get one of our last ones. Go back. We've done Jerome Ford. We've done the Oklahoma Prospects, covered Alex Wright. We have covered David Bell. All of them pretty much have been covered in this series. So go back and check those out to learn more about the draft prospects the Browns selected. Uh, Yeah, but anyway, we have this interview first with Paul. Let's get to that now as we're talking all things Martin Emerson. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, excited to be joined by Paul Jones, who does great work at the 247 Sports Mississippi State site. Um, Paul, listen, thanks for joining us, man. No problem at all. Uh, any Anytime I can talk Mississippi State players, I enjoy that. And uh, they've had some, some very good uh, future pros come through here the last decade. And uh, it's been pretty, pretty exciting to watch those guys grow over here and, and to develop and, and several guys are developing some of the top players in the NFL. Yeah, they have. It's been a sneaky good program for, for NFL talent, especially one that maybe doesn't get the respect I think it deserves. And they continue to pump out NFL talent. The Browns were enamored with Martin Emerson, it sounds like, from the very beginning, Paul, you know, dating back through the process when you hear them talk about it. I know he transitioned as a youngster from wide receiver to corner. Do you have any insight into his recruiting? What brought him to Mississippi State? Sort of a, the young version of Martin Emerson? Yeah, I covered his recruitment pretty uh, pretty well uh, back those, and, and they had a good relationship with Martin. And you know, it, uh, first thing that popped off the map when I saw him in camp was, you know, just his size and, and his ability to run at that size. And you know, there were some talks that maybe he ended up as a safety, but you know, obviously he stayed a cornerback the whole time he was at Mississippi State. And you know, as far as who he came down to at the end, it was basically Mississippi State, Miami. Miami kind of made a, a late push for Martin. Uh, but, you know, that program wasn't what we see today under new leadership. So uh, he stuck with his original commitment to Mississippi State. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that really stood out to me from the get-go, and you don't see this very often with high school kids, but it was just the, the professional and business-like approach that Martin always had. You know, I know it's a, a coaching cliche and sounds old school, but he put his head down and went to work. And and you're talking about a guy who would have been easy to lose his focus because, you know, he, he's a guy that went through a couple coaching changes, uh, position coach changes, defensive coordinator changes, 
and he had some of his, his classmates and position mates that transferred out of the program, but Martin never wavered with his focus. He, he came there to do a job and, and he kept his head down and worked every day. And, you know, it's, it's very hard to, you know, some positions are easier than others, but I think offensive linemen and cornerbacks is probably the toughest positions uh, to break into college football. And this is a guy that started from day one, was thrown through the fire of the SEC, and, you know, he, he never lost his focus and continued to get better each year. Sure seems like that. I think he came in as a safety, right? Because he talked about transitioning. I think he talked about transitioning from – wide receiver to, to defensive back in high school, and then he came in as a safety. Is that true? Yeah, you know, he just with his size, you know, being one of the best athletes on his team down there at Pine Forest, he's just a, a guy that played all over in the secondary. You know, Mississippi State, Mississippi State that during that time liked the big corners with length and uh, just decided to, to keep him at corner and, and let him grow there. And he did that training camp and, you know, I, I remember back with that class, there were several good DBs and a lot of good freshman de- defensive players in that class. But I remember putting Martin at the top of my list after his first training camp. Is you know, we all make lists of who the top freshmen were that caught our eyes. And Martin was on top of that list easily. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, for the Browns, I'm sure they'll use him in a lot of versatile ways too. I mean, he's a guy that could be the third corner or he could come down in the box and, you know, there's just a lot of things you could do with Martin Emerson because of his speed and his size. Yeah, let's talk a little more about him as a person. So you you covered him, you've probably interviewed him a little bit. Like just sort of curious what his what his you know, type of uh personality is. Is he an outgoing guy or is he a quiet lead by example type? I'm always curious about the person you're getting that sometimes gets overwritten by the player study, you know. I think it's just as important sometimes the type of the people that these guys are because that's the thing that we can't study when we're studying players and looking at tape we don't know how they are as people so that's why a big reason I try to talk to folks like yourself Paul who cover them just to give us insight on how he is as a person or any anecdotes from his time in Mississippi State that stood out yeah I mean he's a guy that can flip that switch when he's on the field and you know off the field a very polite young man and and, you know very cordial and, and good with the media you know he's not a I don't want to say he's a big talker, but he's very confident in his abilities, and, and you can see that confidence when he speaks. You know, I, I think he's also a, a team first guy, and I think we've seen that in all of his three years at Mississippi State. You know, it's for him, it was about production and helping the team. It really wasn't about numbers. And you know, you look at Martin's interceptions, and, and that may make you scratch your head where well, they didn't have a lot of inter- interceptions. Well, that, that was for a reason. You know, they didn't test him that much. And, you know, Martin had, uh, I believe, his sophomore year, he led the team with 10 or 11 TBUs. And I think that was – that may have led the SEC, I believe, too. Uh, but, you know, the past two years, he really hasn't gotten a lot of interceptions. I think maybe one or two. But you look at the guy that played opposite of him, Emmanuel Forbes, and he's had eight interceptions the past two seasons, and that's because he's gotten a lot more opportunities because, you know, a lot of teams just wouldn't test Martin. And, you know, obviously Emmanuel Forbes had the stats and had several pick sixes and, and you know, had that playmaking ability. But when it came to being a lockdown corner, then, you know, that was definitely Martin Emerson. And, you know, his, his teammates feed off of his confidence and, and the way he is as a teammate. And, 
like I said, he, he had plenty of opportunities to, to bolt from this program over here with all the coaching changes that went through. And, you know, several guys did that, but, you know, that's just not Martin's demeanor. He, he He's going to finish whatever he started. And, you know, he's a guy with his attitude and his character. I think he'll be outstanding for the Cleveland Browns. That's awesome to hear. I kind of want to close with something similar to that, which is sort of how you envision him coming into the NFL and fitting in. Like what role do you think he'll fill really well at the NFL level and sort of what traits do you think he takes from Mississippi State into the NFL that help him find some long-term success in Cleveland? You know, you mentioned earlier about uh, Mississippi State being a sneaky good program in the NFL, and I think a lot of that goes back to their work ethic here and just that blue-collar work ethic. And, you know, Mississippi State's always going to be the underdog, and, and that really hasn't changed regardless of how they do on the field. You know, not many people expect much out of them, and, you know, Martin carries that chip on his shoulder to prove people wrong. And, you know, I, I can see him having a very, you know, if he stays healthy, I could see him having a, a long career with the Cleveland Browns and the NFL just because of his, as I mentioned earlier, just because of his business-like approach. And, you know, you're you're not going to have any trouble with Martin off the field. He's going to do whatever his coaches need to do. He's going to act like a professional. He's going to play like a professional. And, he, you know, it's, Clearly, there's an adjustment to make. Yes, he played in the SEC, and, and that's probably the toughest conference in America. And he played the best of the best in the country when it comes to receivers in that league. And he knows he's going to face adjustments in the NFL because it's a whole different game with a whole different talent level. But that's only going to push Martin to be his best. And, you know, he, he's going to look at that as a challenge. And, you know, I. Saying this, I have no idea what the Browns' depth chart looks like, but you know, I'd be surprised if he's not in that rotation or or starter sooner than later for them. Yeah, based on how quickly they were uh, fine with shipping out a guy who played nickel corner for them last year, right after they selected Martin, and the evening after they selected him, I think they envision him as a pretty big part of things. So, great stuff on the and person. He, oh, go ahead, Paul. And you know, he's a guy too that they can play special teams. He's just a versatile guy. Um, you know, he, he did that summer in Mississippi State. And, you know, his uh, one thing that kind of gets unnoticed about Martin just because of his lockdowns ability at corner is his tackling ability. You know, I rarely saw Martin miss a tackle at Mississippi State. I mean, once once he got his hands on people, whether it was running backs or receivers or quarterbacks, they usually went down pretty quick. And, you know, that's just another natural fundamental trait that he's had from the get-go since he got at Mississippi State. Yeah, those are big parts of what he'll do early on, right? They'll expect him to, if he plays some inside stuff or or no matter what, the way they play defense in Cleveland, they expect their DBs to tackle and a route to on the field quickly no matter what is specials, and I know that they look for guys who can do that too, and it sounds like he fits the mold. So, Paul, this was great, man. I know listeners of this podcast really appreciate your time and we can steal a little bit of time from busy schedules and uh, get to know a little bit more about these guys who are going to be a big part of the Browns roster going forward. So we appreciate your time, Paul. Thanks so much. Anytime. Listen, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I just kind of enjoy when we do these, and I've done them for three years now, is is talking to people who cover other teams around the league, uh, not just around the league, but obviously in this case, uh, cover those colleges and universities around the country who just come from different walks of life. Like, you know, we had on our, our UAB coverage specialist, just last week, uh, maybe it was a week before, I'm not sure, this series is running way longer than it normally does, but 
you know, he's obviously an Alabama guy. Then talking to then talking to Paul and hearing how he covers Mississippi State and the way he talks about the players and the different dialects and I don't know, just get a big kick out of it. I, I enjoy breaking out of the shell of Cleveland and Ohio and North North I guess Midwest or whatever, but this uh AFC North bubble that we get in. It's fun to talk to different people who cover sports and football in a different way. So thanks to all of those guys. And we have another, like I said, another great guest for LSU coming tomorrow, which again, Southern football. You know, we had a great interview last year with a guy who covered Georgia on Richard LeCount and all the fun stories that went with Richard LeCount's, uh, his recruitment and the way he he led in that locker room. And I, these are just some of the more fun interviews I get to do. So Anyway, we're going to transition away from that, so thanks to Paul for joining us. We're going to go to a recent visit, actually a visit I had last night on the Barking Brown show. Listen, anytime somebody has me on their show and they're good people, they work hard and are just, you know, like I said, uh, nice guys, work hard, deserve some attention. I think all three of them do a great job on their podcast. They get together on Twitch for the Faithful Dogs Network. Dogs Network, they get together Tuesday nights at 8. I'm sure you can get their podcast uh any of the typical places you can find this podcast. But you should follow him. You should follow the Faithful Dogs Network. That's Ed, who is at Ed underscore N underscore Columbus. Nick does a great job uh, at Carnsey 817. And then Jacob does a fantastic job as well at Roach IZM 13 on Twitter. You should follow all of them and you should follow their show. It's a Tuesday night show. Like I said, you can still get that podcast as well, but I joined them and we talked about a bunch of different things going on with the Browns right now, including free agents and looming decisions and all that fun stuff. So I want to share it and give you the idea of where to find these guys show. Cause they do a great job. Again, those guys are the barking Brown show and they're a part of the faithful dogs. Uh, I guess, excuse me. It is barking Brown show. There is no, G, or maybe there isn't. I don't know. They might drop it every now and again if they're feeling frisky, whatever it is. Make sure you're following Jake. Make sure you're following Nick. Make sure you're following Ed and checking out their podcast. Let's get over to that interview right now. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, guys. We've got our second guest on here um, from the OBR, the best film man in the business, Mr. Jake Burns. Jake, how are you doing, man? What's up, guys? How are you? Doing great, doing great. We just had to listen to how good the Bengals draft is. Uh, yeah, I was in my feelings, Jake. You got to forgive me. <sighs> how good the uh, Bengals? What now? They, their draft. We had to, we had a Bengals guest on talking about their draft. And, oh yeah, which yeah, greatest draft ever. I bet. <laughs> you, you know how it is, man. Hey, we wanted to get in with uh, get in off the top with uh, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I know we had discussed this a little bit, and I watched. Mm-hmm. I I want to ask you this one off the top because I got a couple questions about him, but. I watched a lot of him today. and Do you see Tack McKinley in his game? Yeah, I think he's he's a nice, strong side defensive end who can kind of anchor, play, run when he needs to, um, but plays aggressively. I think a lot of people are concerned with the lack of range of motion, flexibility 
But in the right 4-3 scheme, I don't think that's a problem. And age obviously plays into why he falls where he does, and then it's just about finding a team at the right time with the right need. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah I, th- I think he can do some of those things. I'm not sure he's quite as bursty or twitchy as Tack is, but uh, to me he's a player who can certainly fill a role as a strong side edge, not a weak side guy, but he can play run to pass in, in, in that regard. And, you know, in a team that needs run fits to be built that way, and if you're curious what I mean by that, we actually just wrote on it. Uh, John Stephenson, who does a great job, he coaches here in Central Ohio, um, one of the best defensive guys I've ever talked to. He just wrote on Clowney's role and why he's so important for it. So if you want to like learn a little more about that strong side edge stuff, we we have that up so you can you can take a peek at that too. So yeah, it's just it's it's a certain type of build, a body type, and I think he's got that body type, the ability to anchor a little bit. Uh, when you need to anchor and set as a force defender. So, yeah, I, li- I like him and I, in tremendous value. And I talked to um, an affiliate guy from 247 that does Oklahoma recruiting and beat, and they were stunned he was there in the seventh round. I mean, they were they really liked him. They thought he was one of the most consistent guys on that front and just kind of was a forgotten factor because of a lot of things that went on with Oklahoma's program last year because of Perion's burst late in the scene. Uh, there's a lot of people that really like him, man. I, I thought it was kind of – interesting when i watched him that i thought that i see a lot of like effort plays uh like like as a rusher like i think not effort not uh, motor plays like i just feel like he he goes through the whole snap really really well and that's kind of where i saw the tack mckinley um comparisons just with him yeah i remember when you were uh that interview actually because i was i was gonna ask you man like i just don't get when he goes in the seventh round i didn't know he was still on the board like, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, you kind of lose track at that point. It's really yeah. hard to keep track of best player available because so many different outlets meander away from whatever draft scout you want to go with for these things. So, yeah, he's a guy that when I talked to someone else from Oklahoma sort of late in the year, he also identified Isaiah as a player that would be a really good value player. He kind of set a fourth, fifth round guy. So much like Perry on being there. In, in round four, you kind of felt like Isaiah being there in round seven, and especially the need for somebody to identify themselves as that. I mean, they're, they're searching here, right? I think we can yeah. all identify that they're trying to figure out who the third and fourth edge will be. You got some good candidates here. I think you have three really good candidates that they either drafted or made a move to trade for in Winovich, Wright, and Isaiah here. But then, you know, they also signed some veterans as well in – uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Rochelle and, and, um, Stephen Weatherly. Weatherly. Yeah. So the, there's a lot of movement at that position, right? So they're trying to do the best they can to have some sort of contingency in place in case Clowney doesn't come back. I think all of us have been a little surprised that we've seen guys like Melvin Ingram and, and Jerry Hughes kind of go by and, and they haven't seemed to be connected to them as far as we know on the surface, you know, it feels like no matter how many insiders are in the industry, you never really know if the team you cover, is all that into a player, but uh, we haven't heard any serious connection. So I think as we all sit here and until we have any evidence to the contrary, at least a couple people that are relatively connected in the industry have told us that there's all signs pointing toward Clowney and Cleveland. It's just a matter of whether Clowney, Hey man, I'll, I'll go back and play in the cold weather again. Like yeah. I think that's a way sure. bigger factor for him than people understand. He's a, he's a Southern guy his whole life. He plays in Texas, uh, you know, right out of college and, 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 you know, he, he even expressed it to his 
his uh, nervousness about playing in Cleveland and the temperatures and all that stuff. So if he comes back, uh, I think it'll be because Cleveland outbid everybody. I just, that's kind of where I'm at with it. So hopefully that Jake, does come to fruition. Jake, I just want to ask, because the way you speak about, about Thomas, it, it sounds like you'd be fairly confident that he'll make the team then. I, I think so. Well, I mean, let's put it this way, guys. I think you know this too. I think it's been a pretty smart point by most people who are who are watching closely that they haven't cut a draft pick of Andrew Barry's mm-hmm. yet. They have not cut a single guy. So I would be pretty surprised if they did it out of this class. So I think we operate on like, much like we all have studied the guardrails and studied the athleticism factors and the age factors until we get evidence of the contrary which we do sometimes, right? Like last year when they went on and moved up for a linebacker, Andrew Barry's like, you know, I'll do this. And and then they said kind of the same thing about this year when, you know, people have kind of caught on to the age stuff. And he said, well, that's not the only factor. So, but, but until we have some tangible proof, right, that they're going to do these things, we operate under the idea that, yeah, he'll, he'll be here. And guys like Rochelle and Weatherly and Winovich are going to have to fight an uphill battle uh, to make the roster going to have to prove that they're that much more valuable. So, yeah, I, I, I would sit here and say, I don't want to say a lock. I mean, he could get here and be totally terrible, but I think we we operate under him being here, right? Yeah. So. What's the latest on Indomitian Sue? What, any, any news on him? Or I Yeah, like Brad Stainbrook, our guy. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, Ed. I, I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. That was it. That was it. Go ahead. Yeah, the first I'd heard about this connection to Indomitian Sue was I think last week Bill Barnwell wrote a piece about projecting where some of these fringe free agents go as this market has dwindled. And I was like, that's interesting because I think the Browns have a lot more three tech operating guys and in, in Elliot and uh, obviously drafting Perry on that. We think are going to be those types of players. And I, I would love a player who's a, who's a true congester and Eddie Goldman, a one tech shade, um, somebody like Linville Joseph. I don't even know if Linville's still out there. It's been a minute, but he's a guy who caught my eye originally. Um, but guys like that, because I I don't think they've had that guy. And I know the Browns kind of orchestrate their interior D-line is like, hey, get after the passer and play the run on the way to the quarterback. But I think that they would benefit from having somebody who they can play early. Does. Like I thought Malik Jackson and Malik McDowell, who's still – we've not heard a single thing about the Malik McDowell it's thing. Weird. Still very weird. But um, And maybe they just don't have to. Maybe they're just like, eh, we're not bringing him back and we don't have to address it because we're not bringing him back. But um, – they, they could benefit because I think that over the past few years, even back to Sheldon Richardson, they just have kind of worn down by the end of the year. Like, go look at their performances. And I'm not talking about – I mean, grades are easy to look at, but go watch how they played early in the year and look how they played late in the year, and you can just kind of see that these guys by the end of the year are pretty worn down. So somebody like that. Now, they have a couple guys in, in free agency. Uh, I think it's Glenn Cody that's a kid out of LSU who's interesting. Um, I could have messed up his name. And then there's another kid, Roderick something out of uh, Illinois – haven't gotten to their tape, but their body types are bigger bodies. So um, to, to, you, to the heart of your question now, five minutes later into my answer, uh, and Dominican Sue is a guy that I heard about Barnwell being like projecting him to Cleveland. Then I think Brad Stainbrook, who's uh, pretty connected in the agent circles, has sort of linked, and he wrote about it for us, um, I think uh, Las Vegas and somebody else, Tampa, I think are still poking around there. But Cleveland has been interested, so – yeah, I mean, the guy doesn't miss games. He he plays all the time. I think I saw that in 12 years he hasn't missed a game, which if that's true, wow, that's bananas for an interior Glenn Logan. Sorry about that. I keep calling him Glenn Cody. Yeah. I don't know why I keep calling him Glenn Cody. Um, I, it's, it's, it's a two-first name thing to get to yes. create another, another first name. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I guess it would be good. It'd be fine. It'd be, you know, I don't think Indomitian Sue is – 
anywhere near the player he was five, six years ago, but he's a guy I think played like 60% of snaps for Tampa last year. Still an effective player in, in terms of he's just a sheer force of nature physically, strength-wise, and so he can be a disruptor still, so I'd have no issue with that. And the Browns sit, I think, after the two waiver wire pickups today, they uh, sit at 88 total players. So if if they're sitting at 88, you know, you kind of like start to scratch your head a little bit and say, okay, maybe a veteran D tackle there that would make some sense. And maybe the edge spot that we're holding for Clowney would make some sense. But, I mean, they can move anybody at any time to do whatever they want to do. But I think as we look at those two roster spots, those are kind of where we all pinpoint they need the most help. So I would be fine with that. I'm sure it would be a one-year deal, not a not a whole lot of money that would eat into some of that rollover money. People kind of forget the rollover cap is important when you do those void years because eventually your credit card bill, while not interest tacked on like true credit cards, they still have to be paid. So the rollover cap allows you to cover that at later dates. So the Browns, while they sit here and you look at a lot of lists that say, you know, they – have XYZ amount of dollars in their top five and cap. They, they don't view it that way. They kind of view it as fitting everybody into a shell and then being able to cover some things later on that they need to via rollover. But that nice part is they don't actually have to pay for that out of the, the true salary cap. So as it rises, they're using the rollover to pay the void years that they've tacked on for other guys to fit it at lower thresholds. So you know what I mean? As the, then the cap goes up. Okay, now we're going to be able to use this 220 instead of 208. But we also have this 25 rollover cap that we can use to eat these void years this year. So I think they could do something really similar to that and, and give and give uh, him like almost a uh, year in a void, kind of the sim- similar structure to Troy Hill. And Clowney, really, that's a big part of the, why they want Clowney back is they're already going to pay for him this year to an extent. There's a portion of that that's already being paid. So you know, might as well get him to play for you if you're going to pay him a little bit of money too. So, um, you know, hopefully that works out. But yeah, I think Sue would be fine. He'd be fine. It'd be a little log jammy at the three tech, but if they think they can slide one of those guys over and do some different sort of odd fronts every now and again, or do some of the, what we call boss front stuff where they slide three guys to one side and let, uh, and let do some really creative blitzing. They do and pass downs. They, they slide uh, a bunch of guys away, walk a couple, a couple second level players up uh, linebackers or a, a, a dime backer like Ronnie Harrison and get really creative and blitz stuff. So you can do some fun things like that with him. But but to me, I mean, we wrote about it today again, like Eddie Goldman, one of those guys to me, Akeem Hicks would be really, really good for what they need too, because I think it kind of fits more of a need, but I'm also not Joe Woods and they seem to have a pattern of type of guy. That's the nice thing too, is we haven't gotten, I was talking to our guys about that. We have not gotten, it's been so long. I know you were talking about Kyle Shanahan before you, you let me in yeah. the show. You're like, <laughs> It's so rare that we get the Browns having the same play callers on both sides of the football for a third year. So yeah. we start really like, okay, here's what I know Joe Woods likes. Here's what I know mm-hmm. Kevin Stefanski. And I know we're kind of recreating. I'm going to try to put together a series in July of what the offense recreated with Watson looks sure. like. But we at least start to figure out here's the personnel groupings they prefer. Here's the type of concepts that they prefer. We can deduce like certain coverage types. We know that Joe Woods is definitely a zone over man guy. When he does go zone, it's actually kind of a form of man because they run this check to three by one. And oh yeah, here's why Denzel Ward's really important because they're going to isolate him in the boundary corner and give him one-on-one coverage all the time while everybody else is kind of playing a box, what's called poach check. It's just, it's fun. It's fun to get to know what these guys like. And then you see them deviate from it and you're like, okay, that's fun. They're, they're kind of checking off the things that they normally do they're count. They're playing chess. They're playing chess. Yeah. They know teams are scouting them. They know that they have to beat their own tendencies, and that's when it's fun. Every year, when it's like, oh, let's break down a new OC, let's break down 
you know, all the way back to, to yeah. Freddie Kitchens and all, you know, Todd Monken, let's break this down. Now we got to break down. It's just not fun. It just gets old after a while, you know. Turns out when you were breaking down Todd Monken, you didn't really need to. Um, yeah, this is true. <laughs> I looked at I looked at Indomitian Sue two games. He missed two games his second year. That's it. He played not every other game in, in 12 years. So Glenn Logan, it's did interesting. He suspended, up, though? Did, didn't he get suspended a few times? Did he did the stomp? I remember did, on Thanksgiving. I think he did. I didn't think he, he did. stomp on Aaron Rodgers? I'm yeah, but he's got nasty. Yeah. I like nasty. Wouldn't that yeah. have been I think that's the I think that would have been his second year, though, because if you look at his pro football reference. Every other year, it says 16 games and 16 starts other than this year. So. Yeah, it, it might have been early. For that. Might have been the only time he missed. So you brought up Glenn Logan the, from LSU. I really like – it's really interesting about Glenn Logan because you talk about the, the, the types that they have on, on the defensive line. Glenn Logan, like now he's 339, but I went back and watched some of his tape at LSU. He started out as an edge rusher at under 300 pounds. Like he was like yeah. a 280, 290 edge rusher, like a, like a, like a big edge rusher. So like, there's another, you just talked about kicking people outside, kicking people inside something that Isaiah Thomas and Alex Wright and Clowney and miles, all these guys can do it. You can shuffle them all around. I'm like, I'm the biggest, well, Corey Kinnon might give me a run for my money, but I think I'm the biggest Alex Wright stand on Brown's Twitter. Uh, his Jersey is already on its way to my house. That is a thing. That is that is going on, and I get to talk to him on Friday, so I'm like having a good week. So, but but yeah, no, I I really like. I think Glenn Logan is it's it. He seems to be the one that Tyler brought up too. They gave I guess he gave they gave him quite a bit of guaranteed money. Um, Yeah, I think they kind of poached him away at the last minute from somebody else too, if I recall. That he had been tweeted to having agreed with uh, someone, and then. The Browns swooped in with some more guaranteed money. So, yeah, they must like him. I mean, they've been hunting that market. Who do they have? Marvin Wilson last year, right? Like, they're hunting that market for trying to find a sleeper undrafted free agent at the D tackle spot. So, maybe they're hoping one of these guys can figure it out. But they, they, I mean, they need, they're playing, they're playing sort of that cheap game with the position. And it's clear to us that, like, we all kind of tried to pigeonhole linebackers that position. But really, it seems. For now, they could go out and invest a little more next year. And again, granted, it was a pretty weak free agency class at the position and a pretty well-documented poor upper portion of the draft at that position. So if it's stronger, maybe they would have moved for somebody. But, you know, I think some guys that we thought they could be interested in, Logan Hall, uh, for example, who I was, you know, a pretty firm believer in this defense's fit. He goes right in front of them. So that was probably one of the many factors that led to them deciding to move down from 44. Some of those guys they thought could be there were not there to help at that position. So um, we'll see. We'll see if it ends up biting them. I think we can all agree. I think uh, what's his name? Mike Clay at ESPN just put out his position by position rankings, kind of looking at uh, a way to measure team value. And he pinpointed the Browns as having the worst defensive tackle group in the NFL. And I've been pretty vocal about this with our OBR guys that like this position is, is a, problem it's a massive problem now maybe you can get by with it that's fine i'm just not i'm not a believer in tommy togiai and, and i'm not a believer in jordan elliott in terms of snap to snap any sort of worth it and they'll have a flash play here and there jordan elliott had a couple more decent efforts this past year than he had the year before but like eh, i just i need i would just prefer to have some sort of consistency inside but again you can't you know, you can't fix everything all the time. You always have to have some, some moving parts. So it'd be nice to hit on a fourth round D tackle this year and maybe find yep. a guy in UDFA who can be a serviceable 
uh, first contract in the NFL type of player. So that's what we'll keep our fingers crossed about, right? Would you say, would you, I just, it's weird to me because I feel like there's more talent left in this part of free agency than there typically is. Um, and you can tell me if, if I'm incorrect, but it definitely seems like there's guys out there that could very much benefit the Browns still. Yeah, they could. I, I don't really know. I'm not going to say you're right or wrong on that because I can't. I feel like every year is just such a blank slate. I forget year to year. So you could be right. I, I'd have to flash back and see if the, we could find like an article about this time last year about sure. who they could sign. I mean, I know we've all pretty much been covering the Clowney sign back like April 14th of last year, and that felt late last year. So now we're into May 17th, and it's like, okay, so was he just going to skip all of the offseason? Which, you know, whatever, cool, I guess, if he shows up. But um, you're probably right. I do think there are some veterans that can help. Does that speak to a little bit of, like, the influx? It was a humongous draft class this year because of the extra COVID year. Is there a little hesitancy to sign those bottom-tier free agents because we think we can draft players that can do that? I think the Browns are kind of that example with the third tight end situation where where we don't think they're going to sign anybody, and it's like, okay, well, then who's it going to be because you play three tight ends a lot and you got a bunch of no, you know names that are not very well registered, some guys who have transitioned from another sport – as a part of your uh, discovery session here. So I think that could be it, Nick. I don't know, man. It's a good point by you. I'm not totally sure, but there are definitely to the larger point you made a lot of names that could still help them at several positions that they need. And I've tried to kind of cover that as best I think I can. Like what are positions that are needs versus the ones that we just want some better talent, right? Mm Because that's a big discussion point. There are needs they have. And I think that, um, we've identified some of them talking already here. And then there's like some ones, Hey, I'd really like a better solo free safety. If they could find a guy or, you know, we, we would like a, maybe a perhaps more defined nickel. We would like that. Um, I have to believe there's some greater plan in place just to ship Troy Hill off right after you draft Martin Emerson, but uh, we'll see how that comes to be. And, and Sean Jolly, the, the kid out of app state is an interesting udfa for that role we'll see what happens there you don't really want to trust that but they could have a plan but um yeah and then it's like wide receiver i think they they're they're a little higher on some of the guys they have than we probably are so they might just be ready to say hey let's see if the quarterback can elevate them the way we see other franchises have quality quarterback play elevate some wide receivers who are kind of viewed in that middle to lower tier so that's kind of more of a want than a need necessarily but you could talk me into five or six guys that I think would really help. Them. I, don't, I don't think that's the secret. So um, we'll see what shakes out. There's a lot of time. They still, I've kind of tried to point this out that there's still money to free up. That it doesn't actually hit the books. The Hooper money doesn't hit the books until after June 1st. So there could be somebody plan in place something there that that comes to fruition after June 1st when that money uh, opens up too. So we'll kind of just see. What happens? There are always summer signings, I believe, even though KJ Wright didn't really play for the Browns. I'm pretty sure he was a midsummer signing uh, back then. So there, there's stuff like that shakes out still, even though we expect maybe it might not. It, it sometimes does. Yeah, I, I like. I'm very big on the Jack Duffin lo- loves adding um, Darren Fells. I really do think that that would just be offensively if you're if you're looking for a cherry on top. It's 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 the cherry, but have you done anything? I did a little bit on on, on him, and I see Tyler bringing him up in the comments. Have you have you looked any any at Isaiah Weston yet out of uh, the UDFA? 
Yeah, he's older. She's much older. I think he's borderline 25 at the start of the season. So yeah. So he is. I mean, that, that's what we have to kind of understand collectively. And I'm not. I'm not just talking about Tyler or anything like that. That people are like, why did this guy go undrafted? Well, he's 25, and like you know, that's it. So he is hyper athletic. There's no doubt about it. But you also have to understand that as a 21 year old, your athleticism is not defined yet. You can still get more athletic as your body reaches its peak age, I don't know, 23, 24, even 25, that most of these guys that come in in that 24, 25 range, you're kind of saying this is a maxed out athlete. Now, Weston as a maxed out athlete, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good here, right? Like that's that's great. It's an outcome that is great. But he's kind of lauded for being a bigger body guy, but he doesn't play big. He doesn't play big. He's not a go up and get it receiver. He is kind of just a um, – an athletic, but yet, yet kind of generic receiver where he doesn't have a bunch of nuance to his route uh, development. He doesn't have the ability to catch the football outside of his frame consistently. He could be a special teams guy that they like. If he shows that ability to do that, they will keep a higher volume of receivers. If you have somebody um, who can go, can go do those sorts of things. And And it's blanking. I tried to as I'm talking, think of my next point. I cannot think of the Green Bay receiver who was especially – he came to Cleveland for a minute. He was a special teams ace for Green Bay. Caught a couple Hail Marys in Arizona. Fran Rogers, white guy, can't think of his name. Very athletic. Switzer? No. Uh, very uh, – hold on. Let me use this computer in front of my face and see if I can find it as we're talking. Yeah. So so we'd say Packers, Hail Mary – Cardinals. See, this is what we do. This is why we're professionals. There it is. <laughs> this is what we do. Um, Sometimes what is this, you know what you got to do. He came to Cleveland and he was eventually cut. Jeff Janis was his name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Jeff Janis was a special teams guy who was very athletic, never got a bunch of opportunities, did find an opportunity, and they're like, oh, my God, this guy caught a couple consecutive deep bomb Hail Marys in a, and I think it was a playoff game. So yeah, and then I think ultimately Arizona went into overtime, and I think Larry Fitzgerald scored or something like that. But anyway, that's the type. Like you could see that type coming to fruition for him, but he's not—he's not really going to be much more than a, just a very athletic testing guy who doesn't develop into much of a. You know, we're kind of banking on the flip side here with David Bell, right? Guy that yeah. doesn't test well, but man, does this guy know what it takes to actually get open, catch the football, make plays above his athleticism, or use those just sheer hand-eye coordination type things. So I think that's the counter to it. And again, the biggest reason he wasn't drafted, somebody would take a Christian Watson-like risk on him if he was 21, 22. He's 25, so that's tougher. So, But again, I like that. I like that gamble. That's why you 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 go out and sign a guy in, in UDFA that can do that stuff because you just never know. Maybe he comes in and finds a, a level of, of – catch on at that level and can keep developing and gets better and better. And all of a sudden he can be a player for you. So I, I definitely don't mind the approach of going after older, but athletic, really athletic guys at that point. There, there's hope for the AARP wide receivers. <laughs> yep. Yep. If you're really athletic, you can be really crusty and old. Like, right. You can find this 25. Guy, he is yeah. so old. He is so Bro, old. So old. That's football old, man. It's like my dog. He's the same age. <laughs> Right. It is weird. It is weird to talk about that. You'll be like, yeah. you'll be like, man, this guy has been in the league for 13 years and he's, he's so old. It's like he's 33. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I am also 33. And I, yes. I don't feel that old. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I can funny remember like, 
Well, it's funny because like I work at OU now, so like I work at and I work and 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 I have a lot of student employees and stuff. And like the other day, I was like, oh yeah, the kids that work for, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, jeez, here we go. (laughs) It comes out of nowhere. Once I saw, um, you know what? It hit me really hard when Jason Kidd and Steve Nash became head coaches, (laughs) and I'm like. I watched them in their prime, you know, mm-hmm. and now here they are as coaches. I'm like, what? Well, happened? and you got Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State now, and, yeah, and that too. just oh, that man. was that was the one where I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and, then you got the guys who bend time, like LeBron and, and yeah. Tom Brady, and it just doesn't make sense. And yeah. you can still feel young, but when LeBron and Tom are actually done, it's going to be like, man, oh you know, boy. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I'll tell you, listen, I'll let you in on a little inside. We we went to a Justin Bieber concert last night. Sup. And um, my wife, big fan. And listen, I'm I'm yeah. a borderline believer. It's OK. Yeah, man. He's got but my man's listen. He was rocking leather pants. I'm, it might have been some K-Swiss sneakers. He was rocking these 1990s, like every bad guy in diehard glasses <laughs> with, uh, with a hat. And I said to my wife i'm like maybe this is we're past this like we don't get it anymore like we maybe i'm like i we left a little early like we left a little early to beat the traffic i said this is it like we're here now we can't go back like i don't know if i go to concert like i like there's others i like post malone and some others who are younger than me clearly but i don't maybe i just don't fit in that crowd anymore maybe i just it's not my thing it's not it's not something i can do so you know, to the to the point of feeling older than maybe you're like, I'm only 33, still pretty damn young. But, yeah. you know, you just feel a little old. And I think that's kind of creeping up on it here. So, you know, this is a personal story for you guys. That's yeah, you put in Justin Bieber. You put in Justin Bieber. You're you're as young as you want to be. Yeah. As young as you want to be. Yeah, there it is. yeah, I feel I feel like, yeah, he can. He's, he's a weird gap bridger in terms of like the 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 baby song came out in what, like 2012. 10. He was young. He was really young. And then he's still putting out some some good songs, but it's a wide range of women like at this concert. It's like, man, I can't really tell what his age demographic is. He gets them all. He gets them all. Yeah, we were like, we were like, we we are out of here. We can't. 2010. 2010. No, I remember remember that when LeBron James took his talents down to South Beach. I'll never forget this. A couple days later, he went to New York City, and and my heart was broken. He was walking out of one of those Gucci stores or something in in Times Square, and he was singing, baby, baby, baby. And I was just so jealous. Like, why does Miami get LeBron and Cleveland doesn't? And I was just so jealous because he's singing that that, that song. You'll never forget that. Things that get burned into your brain, man. It's the etch. I just remember, I was like, he's wearing red and white. There's no way. He's not gonna pick Cleveland. He's wearing red and white. It's fine, right? It's totally fine. And he's like, I'm gonna take my oh, So, <laughs> so before I got, I got the most important question you'll ever be asked right now. It's right. the last question. I'll let you off the hook after this, but I gotta know: uh, is cereal soup? Yeah, this has been coming up a lot lately. I've never thought cereal was soup. I don't even know where this discussion came from. Soup is hot. Like I, I've never had cold soup. Like I, I don't, yeah. I, I really don't, I don't know where, oh, I've never even heard the two, I don't know, man. I mean, I guess people are just Daniel having fun. I don't know. I've never burns. heard the, the question even come up. I don't, I don't know. Cereal, <laughs> cereal. I, what I, the hell? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have Campbell's cereal. Like what are you doing here? 
I don't go to Panera for cereal. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? I feel like we're just making up stuff to talk about, I guess. I, I, don't know. I asked Pete Smith one time. Well, I asked uh, Jeff I Lloyd to ask him on Locked on Browns. And it was, oh, my God. He was breaking down film. Like, like telling you why cereal was soup. What, what, what cold soup does everyone eat? Am I missing this? What, well, what so there's a ton of cold soups in France. Like, it's cold potato soup. It's like in, in, um, we don't live in France, though. Right? <laughs> no, we, we don't. Thank we goodness. Let's Thank not God. make it more difficult than it needs to be here. I'm trying to help what? Jacob out here. I'm just trying yeah. to help Jacob. Jacob's, yeah. One, one guest at a time. Jacob's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, bud. I ask everybody that. Yeah. But, well, you know, I just don't. I just, <laughs> cinnamon toast cereal, you know, crunch yeah. cereal, not soup. <laughs> well, I think if they could have branded for soup, they'd have probably gone for it because they could have double dipped and made more money, right? Yeah, you know. just you just do both. What you think, Jake? Yeah, thank you for coming on. This yes. is awesome. We this is a lot of fun, and, and you know what? We need, especially in this time of the year, we need that. So, Jake, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you. You know, feel free. Yeah, the OBR. You know, that's it. <laughs> there. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Jake underscore Burns 18. Everything's at the OBR. There's an OBR podcast and all that fun stuff. So if you want to find me, you can find me. If you don't want to find me, also pretty cool with that, too. That's <laughs> There it is. There you know, it is. What more do you need to know? Yeah. On that note, this has been episode 56 of the Barking Brown Show. I'm Nick. He's Jacob. That's Ed. And that's Jake. Go Browns. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.